He was like, all right, I, I will sell you half the company for $50,000 and you take on all the debt. And all my friends in finance were like, no, what are you thinking? No. And, but in my mind, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Because if I can make this work and I get a store in Soho, do you know how many decades it takes brands to get stores in Soho? And once you're in Soho, you've made it. You are an international brand. So I'm like, if I can make this work, I can skip decades of work. And I was like, if I can't make it work, what's the worst that happens? I reinvent myself again. Thanks to Shopify for supporting my podcast. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big business. For a free 14-day trial and full access to Shopify's entire suite of features, go to shopify.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to the podcast. I just wanted to first acknowledge what happened in Buffalo over the weekend. It is so, so devastating. And I saw that the security guard who lost his life trying to protect the innocent. His name was Aaron Salter Jr. And I just wanted to say his name because I just feel like not everybody will know his name and it won't be posted as much as it should be. And this man was such a hero. So I just wanted to say that and just to take a moment because, oh my gosh, and, you know, it's, it's such a big deal because every single day the stakes are so high for us to truly be aware of what an absolute miracle and blessing it is to have this day and to be here. And how do we want to use it? And we have so much potential to be able to make an impact, to be the person that we came to the world to be. And we don't need any more reminders of it, but it's amazing how the mind can put us in this trance of feeling low, feeling negative, feeling lousy, that's what the mind does. It has this cognitive negative bias. And meanwhile, we have so many reasons to be so incredibly grateful and we have so much to live for. And there's so much work to do in this world. And each one of us can create a world of magic. Each one of us has the potential by being aligned with really what's in our heart, by not listening to our mind feed us this garbage limitation, but to just decide that this world like actually and fully is so expansive and that each of us has the ability to really like surpass any barrier or obstacle that our mind might tell us, you know, is the truth. And gosh, I mean, you just look around and you see how much people really need to see that modeled in the world. And so I feel just so um, incredibly blessed by is having done over 600 interviews now where every single person 
whether it's Amy Purdy, who was given a diagnosis that she wouldn't even walk, and now she's an Olympic gold medalist snowboarder, or Damon John, who winds up being able to create such a huge company coming from the circumstances where he didn't feel that he had access to tons of resources and, and look what he did. And Howard Schultz grew up in public housing and, and then the lives that they touch and the way in which they are able to show other people what really is possible and that there is evidence that each one of us and imagine, right? Imagine if we were all like totally in flow and tuned in to not what the brain and the mind likes to tell you in your subconscious is, is the quote unquote small R reality, but the real reality. I feel like then these things would be happening less and less because people would be connected to our higher consciousness, to who we really are, to understanding that there is no separation between us. It's like two waves thinking that they're separate from each other or the waves thinking that they're separate from the ocean. It doesn't exist. Like, no matter what it looks like in the 3D, there's an illusion that we're separate, but we are all sharing this one source of light and energy and consciousness. It's just this one field and we can all tune in and find that and in that place. There is just an unlimited amount of love and empathy and peace and creative intelligence. So let's do it. So today's episode is no different in the sense that Bobby Burke is here and I was so moved. His story is really just, it's so powerful. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. What he talks about and what he went through and what cards were that he had dealt and where he is today, it is so inspiring. So I'm so excited to dive into that today because it really is a example for anybody to see that it doesn't matter what it looks like or where you come from. Like you absolutely can create a magical life for yourself. And so I think that you guys are going to love this episode. Um, before we dive in, I want to let you know that there are still days left to apply for my mastermind. If you would like to apply, we have some spots left. You can go to kathyeller.com slash mastermind is going to be so good. It is going to be the most proximity, the most intimacy and the highest vibe program that I have offered. So if you want to apply, go to kathyeller.com slash mastermind. And um, also we are going to be beginning the pre-sale of Abundant Ever After at the pre-sale price. And so if you want to get in on that, you can find it on my Instagram at kathy.heller. There'll be details there. All right. So Bobby Burke is here. He is a design expert, serial entrepreneur, and most of you probably know him as the Emmy nominated TV host and member of the Fab Five on Queer Eye, which is undeniably one of the most popular shows on Netflix. He has one of the most insane stories I've ever heard, how he designed his whole life, which helped him become a leader in the home building industry and put him at the top of the list of today's best interior designers. Bobby has a superpower for changing lives by teaching people that a happy home means a happy life, but he also has this unrelenting resilience and an ability to bet on himself when the opportunity arises. I mean, there's no way that you won't be so entranced by his journey. It includes everything from a criminal record to bankruptcy to shady business partners and lots of risks and lots of things that demanded so much courage from a high school dropout kid in Missouri. 
who was really just trying to find his way in the world. Even with all the fame and success he's had, Bobby is so humble and he is very easy to love. This was such a blessing and such a joy. And I know you're going to just love this conversation because gosh, can he tell a story? So without further ado, please welcome the one and only Bobby Burke. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that you're probably very busy and you've probably done a zillion of these and thank you for doing another one. Of course, of course. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I love it if you're open to it um, since people think that they know you so well, right? From watching (laughs) you on TV, but maybe they don't actually know much about what you've really been through. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you were like way before all of this started? Um, Because it is so very inspiring to see someone who's started in one place and gone such a far away. I think it gives people at home listening this like sense of like, wow, that's possible for me then. It must be because there's evidence of it. You know, it it is possible. And to go back a little bit, you know, I I grew up in a little town in Missouri. I went to literally a one-room school in elementary, right? We didn't even have a teacher that stood up. We all worked in our own little cubicles and these little cubicles facing them. It was weird. And so, uh, you know, things weren't always great at home. You know, my parents weren't the worst parents in the world, but it was just a very strict religious household that I I didn't mesh with. I can't well. picture you in that environment at all. Yeah, you're just not a vibrational match for that. No, at all. not at all. Not at all. Um, so due to some circumstances at 15, I, I left home and oh, I, I couch surfed for a while. I lived in my car for a while. And eventually I kind of worked my way to having some sort of, uh, not a career, but pay, being able to pay my bills. Sorry, I still have COVID brain months and months later. I'm like, where's that word? It's gone. I have heard that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, my God, Bobby. The most simple Same. of words. I'm like, what is that word? What is that word? I'm like, oh, oh, box. There's the word box. <laughs> Just, anyways, so I put myself in school and then quickly realized that I couldn't, go to school and pay my bills and feed myself. So I left school my junior year um, after I went really hard out of the way to like get myself emancipated so I could go back to school because my parents tried to use me enrolling myself in school as a way to make me come home. And that didn't happen. Um, I was like, screw you. I'll get myself emancipated. I'll show you more. And so I started working as a telemarketer at MCI selling long distance and eventually at that job, I actually got fired for being gay. Um, luckily, that company is long gone now. Oh, um, and then, right? I mean, and, I, I know it's out there, but I think you're the first person to say that to me firsthand, that yeah. that actually occurred. Because it's yeah. obviously like such a freaking lawsuit. But I guess this was before the days of people knowing you know that. Yes, uh, it is and it isn't. Sadly, in a lot of states in America... It's not against the law to fire somebody because they're gay. Still, still to this day. Mind boggling. Yeah, okay. There are still going. there are still states that do not protect sexual orientation. Um, so then I, I was working at gas stations and restaurants and retail. And you know, I was I was making nothing. I had a, you know, a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment that was four hundred dollars a month. And I still had two roommates because I couldn't even afford $400 a month in rent. I drove a car that I paid $200 for that broke down all the time. Yeah, life was a little grim. Um, you know, the system's kind of built to keep the poor people poor. 
you know, I'd get a speeding ticket. I wouldn't be able to afford to pay it. So then it would turn into more fines and then I wouldn't be able to afford to pay them. And then that would turn into an arrest warrant. So then when I'd get pulled over again, I'd actually go to jail for being poor, for not having the money to pay something. I'd, I'd go to jail, which would turn into more fines, which would then turn into community service and criminal records. Yeah, that that's that's America. You know, a lot you literally of people- lived that experience. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy town. I mean, I went to jail three times for unpaid tickets because I, I didn't have the money to pay them. And I would always be getting tickets like driving home at two, three o'clock in the morning from having worked all day long. And I, I had to be back at like 7 a.m. And I just wanted to get home to go to bed and I'd get pulled over for speeding. You know, and it was just a, a cycle of, oh, we're just going to keep you down. Horrible. Um, so I say that because I'm sure a lot of other people are experiencing that as well. And they're like, oh God, I'm never going to get out of the cycle, but you can. So that being said, I continue. So I'm in Missouri. I'm miserable. I'm like, I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I remember the moment that I kind of had this nervous breakdown, I was driving a friend to work at Capital One, where she was a telemarketer, where I worked for one day. But I only worked there for one day because once my um, background check came back, they fired me after one day because I had a criminal record for unpaid tickets. So even those unpaid tickets kept me from getting a good job. Um, So I was driving her to work one day and the route that we normally take uh, was closed from construction. So I tried to go a different way and that was closed for construction. I tried to go a different way and that was closed for construction. So finally I tried to like cut through this hospital parking lot And every exit of the parking lot I tried to take was closed. And I just screeched my car to a halt and I opened up the door and I just flailed myself down on the ground on a parking lot. I'm like, this is my life. Every exit I try to take to get out of this life is closed. Every time I try to do better, there is a roadblock. There is the system just keeping me in this parking lot. And I was like, I've got to get out of here. And it was like, it's like that scene with um, Sally Fields and Mrs. Doubtfire. We have to go. We have to go. We have to go now. We have to go. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I have to get out of here. Daniel, and, Daniel, the whole time, Daniel, the, whole time. the whole time, the whole the whole time. <laughs> best scene ever. Best movie ever. Anyways, she's, I digress. She's amazing. Um, and so I, I go to get gas after I finally get my friend to work and I called my friend Jesse, who's the only person I knew outside of Missouri in the world. I had met him on ICQ years ago. You get too young to remember ICQ, but it was pre-AOL Instant Messenger. It was pre-hot and the whatever the Hotmail one was. And so I called him and I was like, I've got to get out of here or nothing's ever going to happen for me. And he's like, well, come to Denver. And I was like, I don't have a job. I don't have anywhere to stay. I have no money. Like there was no savings in my account. You know, it was paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes like payday loan to payday loan. And so he's like, I'll work on a place for you to stay. You work on a job and the money. And I'm like, okay, you know, so this is never going to happen. So I go into one of my four part-time jobs, which was a stock boy at the body shop in the mall. And I said to my manager, I'm like, I just, I've got to get out of here. I want to go to Denver. I I have the one person I know in the world outside of Missouri lives in Denver. So I want to go to Denver. And so she's like, okay, okay, let me see what I can do. So she comes out of her office an hour later and she's like, all right, you're now the assistant manager at the body shop at airport in in Denver. And I was like, oh my God. And they were paying me $24,000. 
thousand dollars a year, I was like, I am rich. I am rich. That is so much money. Needless to say, I got to Denver and I was like, oh my God, I'm so poor. $24,000 is nothing in Denver. I can't afford my rent. So had a job. Uh, my friend called and he's like, all right, my old roommate from college has an extra bedroom and you can stay with him if you find a place. I'm like, all right, I have a job. I have a place to stay. And I went home. I'm like, what am I going to do for money? What bank am I going to rob? And then I looked and I realized I had a big collection of DVDs. I won't say how I got those, but um, I had a big collection of DVDs. <laughs> and so I went to Hastings Music and I sold them all and I got about 490 bucks. Wow. And I, I used that to go rent a U-Haul and a trailer for my car, which I should have never brought my car because then the very first day in the cold Colorado weather, it, it completely died. Um, <laughs> so it was a big waste of money to drag Tweety all the way to Denver. But um, so I, I got a U-Haul and within 24 hours of having that breakdown in the parking lot, I had packed all of my stuff. And I was on my way to Denver. Oh, it's so epic. I knew if I didn't do it right then, if I thought about it, yeah. I'd talk myself out of it. I would yeah. let fear overcome and I wouldn't do it. And I, I remember coming up over on I-70, the valley, and you see all of Denver and the mountains behind it. And I like pulled over on the side of the road and kind of had another breakdown going, oh my God, what was I thinking? The city is huge. I'm never going to make it here. What was I thinking? Oh my right. God. Right. And then fast forward, like four years later, I was like, Denver is so small. Get me out of here. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've got to go to New York City. So I went to Denver. I went from job to job to job to get in retail and restaurants. I, you know, I teetered in some, some illegal professions. You know, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> and I still, though, I got in some more trouble in Denver. Yeah, it was still just kind of paycheck to paycheck and not knowing what I was going to do with my life. You know, I didn't have an education and I thought that meant that I was doomed to go nowhere in life because that's what you're told, especially then. I feel like, I feel like you don't get told that as much now. Maybe I'm just in a little bubble, but education is great. Yes. If you have the opportunity, go for it. But I feel like now, because there's so many of us millennials, me not included, with these expensive degrees and all the student loan debt that are waiting tables are working to dead end jobs. And they're like, 100%. wait, no, I was told that if I got a degree and yep. I did something that I would get a job and I'd Lies. own a home and I'd have a family. And I think yeah. the, the Gen Z's, isn't that what the kids are called? The, the Gen Z's? Yeah. I think they've realized that was a lie. You guys were told a lie. And I think there isn't as big of an emphasis on getting some degree that you will absolutely never use. Um, I hope that's the case anyways, but that's what I was told. And so I believed that lie. I believed that, oh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do anything other than these like minimum wage, you know, multiple jobs a week jobs. It's exhausting. Um, and so at that point in Denver, I was like, all right, same moment as Missouri. I'm like, I'm not doing anything with my life. Things are going south. I've actually got involved in things I should not. I would have never have imagined I would have been involved in. But, you know, you do what you have to do to pay the bills. And so I had went to visit a friend in New York. And oh, this is, this is an interesting story. So New Year's. You're, by the way, like one of the best storytellers. And we've had all <laughs> of you, all of the cool people, you know, been on this. You're such, this is why you have been a match for the camera on so many Thank levels you. because you're you're fascinating just to you make the 
most simple story, like so dramatic and interesting <laughs> and nuanced, which is what we all relate to. We relate to these actual little moments because those are the moments that people actually live. So anyways, so keep going. So then you call a friend who lives so, in New York. So no, New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve 2002, I was supposed to go out, but a friend ditched me, long story. Um, so I'm chatting and I end up meeting this guy in a chat room in New York and we chatted, hit it off, but it didn't go anywhere from there. I'm like, oh, that was a nice conversation. Never thought anything of it again. So then like a month later, I'm in New York visiting a friend and we go out to this club and I'm walking through this club and this guy slams into me and spills his drink all over me. I spill my drink all over him and I look up and it's the guy I had chatted Stop with. Stop it. And I was just like, Tim? And he's like, Bobby? And I'm like, wait, I'm like, this is insane. No. And we fell madly in love. And the next, I totally ditched my friend that I was there to visit. And we were inseparable for a week and we fell madly in love. And I started coming to New York every weekend I could. And it was like hot and heavy and quick. And I decided to move to New York to be with him and actually New Jersey. He didn't even live in New York, which was a real commitment. Um, (laughs) And so luckily before I even moved for him, him and I broke up, he was having some issues, but I also fell in love with New York city. And I'm like, this is where I need to be. And I remember when I was little, the old farmers would be like, boy, you don't belong here. You belong in New York City or something. And I was like, you're right, you're right. Even though I didn't know what New York City was as a kid. And so I decide to move to New York City anyways. And one of his best friends had said they were going to get an apartment with me. And I sent them a bunch of money to get the apartment. And they ended up totally screwing me and spending the money and not getting me an apartment. And so like... A week before I was supposed to move, I still didn't have a place to live. And long story short, I ended up finding a place. It was this guy who was going home to Israel for three months. He had a two-bedroom apartment to lease out. He was renting one bedroom to me, one bedroom to somebody else. And so I get there June 23rd, 2003, and it was gay pride. And I remember that specifically because I I come up out of the subway with all my suitcases in Chelsea, New York. And I look around and there's just gay people everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a lot. I'm like, another one of those moments, like, oh my God, what was I thinking? This is too much for me. And so I sit there. He was supposed to meet me at 8 a.m. I sat there and I waited till four in the afternoon because he was out at all these gay pride parties. And so he finally shows up and... We go up to the apartment and he's like, well, we have a problem. Um, the other guy who was going to rent the other room has flaked on me. So you're going to have to pay the whole rent. And I was like, I'm sorry, dude. I, I literally have saved up enough in my pocket to pay you three months rent and have a little bit to, to eat off of. And that's it. So if you're going to make me pay the full rent, then I'm going to have to go couch surf. And I knew he was kind of in a hard place too. So he's like, all right, I guess half rent is better than no rent. So he's like, all right, that's fine. So the moment he left, I promptly got on Craigslist and I rented out the second room (laughs) Um, for exactly. I was like, the universe put this in my lap. I'm going to rent it out for exactly what I'm paying. I'm not going to make money off of it, but I'm going to break even and I'm going to pass it on. And I'm going to, I'm going to give this great deal to somebody else too. And I ended up, you know, $800 a month in Chelsea at eighth and 15th. So I got like 
hundreds of messages within minutes. But there was this one guy who called who had the sexiest South African accent. His name was <laughs> Jamie. He was this rowing instructor. He was in the States because he had some bad stuff had happened to him and his family in South Africa. So he had escaped to the States. And I heard his accent and I was just like, it's yours. I don't even need to know anything about you. But in the end, he turned out to be, yeah, Jamie, if you're out there, he turned out to be one of the best roommates ever. Such a sweet guy. So it took me about three months to even find a job in New York. Cause I was like, oh, I'll come to New York. I'll get a job as a server. I've always just been able to walk into whatever restaurant and instantly get a job because I'm, I'm good at being able to sell myself and I'm a good server. It's an acting job, you know? That didn't work in New York. (laughs) In New York, you have to have New York City experience to get a job at a restaurant. And I'm like, okay, you guys are so bougie, but whatever. So finally, my first job was Restoration Hardware, a design merchandising manager there. And I worked at Restoration Hardware for a little bit. And then I lost that job. I think I've been fired from every job I've ever had. Chrissy Teigen and I have that in common. (laughs) Um, oh, I got fired from Restoration Hardware. Funny enough, the day that Tom Felicia, the original designer from Queer Eye, was filming in Restoration Hardware. So they fired me the day my my predecessor was in there filming. And I just, Chills. I, I, yeah, I should have been like, big mistake, huge. huge. You know, I'll be back and I'll oh, be back yeah. as him. Um, <laughs> and so I then went to work for Bed Bath Beyond. Ugh. Worst job I've ever had in my life. I literally used to cry walking to work there. Then I started working for a company named Portico. Actually, in between, in between Bed Bath Beyond and Portico, I worked for an Italian linen company who brought me on to help them expand their brand in the US. Everything I tried to do, they fought me on it. And finally, they fired me saying I was an idiot. I'd never amount to anything. So that was a little smidget of time. But luckily, one of the retailers that we manufactured for, Portico, I dealt with the owner all the time and he loved me. And he was like, dude, forget them. They're crazy. Come work for me. So he hired me to run his store in Soho, which to jump forward a little bit, the back of that store ended up touching the back of the store that in the future will have my name on it. Um, So that was another like weird moment. I'm going to cry. It's unbelievable. So I started out managing that store and then I went to corporate and I was a buyer and then I developed their e-commerce division. And then in the end, I was a creative director of the company. Then they went bankrupt. (laughs) And so I am like, crap, what am I going to do? Because again, like it wasn't easy for me to get a job. I had a criminal background. I had no education. And at that point I had a good job and I'm like, crap. I'm finally Uh, getting a little bit ahead in life. I'm finally not working jobs that I'm having to have two to three jobs at a time. And I'm like, "Ah, crap, what am I going to do? I'm like, I can't keep working for other people. Like, luckily, like that company, I got the job because they knew me from working for another company. So I didn't have to do background checks. I didn't have to lie on applications. You know, it just, it happened because of a relationship I built. And I'm like, that's not going to happen again. Like, I don't have any other relationships to leverage to get a job without checking that box that yes, I have a criminal history and then never getting a call back again, even though my criminal history was unpaid right. tickets. Right. So I cloned the database that I had built the e-commerce division on and I went online and I registered bobbyburkhome.com and I launched bobbyburkhome.com and I'm like, maybe I'll sell a sofa or two while I look for another job. 
I never thought it would be successful. But I sold more than a sofa or two. I was one of the first online retailers out there selling modern furniture. There was no Wayfair. There was no Amazon. Well, there was an Amazon, but they were still selling books back then. I was one of like maybe two websites that sold furniture online. And, and people thought it was crazy, especially our suppliers. I started getting emails and letters from our suppliers telling me cease and desist. You don't have authorization to sell our products. Like, who are you? Portico did, but you didn't. And I like so many of them, I was like, please give me a chance. And they're like, no, we're not selling online. That's crazy. Who wants to buy furniture online? And all of our brick and mortar stores are going to drop us if they see us selling to these online retailers. So fast forward a little bit. I convinced some of them to continue selling to me. um, One of which I ended up being their largest US retailer in the future. So I was like, "Eh." and so I had such a hard time getting good products because manufacturers didn't want to sell to an online retailer. I finally was like, fine, you know, I'll think about opening up a brick and mortar store. And it just so happens that I ended up getting a call from the Italian guy that had fired me <laughs> telling me I was never going to amount to anything. And he's like, Hey, so I see you have your own brand now. And I have a store in Soho and it's not doing very well. And you seem to be doing very well. Do you want to, partner with me and buy out part of the company. And I was like, wait, what? I thought I was an idiot. I never amount to anybody or to anything, but I was like, oh, this is kind of like, I manifested this. I needed a store and here's a store. So he had, I think it was like six, $700,000 in debt, which to me at the time was like, it might as well have been a billion. Right. Um, because so that was much. just, yeah, that was just an astronomical amount of money. And oh, Rewind a little bit. I also had declared bankruptcy when I was 18 over like $5,000. I was at a bar one night and I had an apartment that a roommate had screwed me with that the apartment complex had said they were going to sue me for the lease and a car I was upside down on. And I met some sleazy lawyer and he's like, oh, for 500 bucks, I can make that all go away. And so I was like, and $5,000 again, might as well have been a billion dollars to me (laughs) back then. And so I was like, oh, great. Yeah. Worst decision of my life because it screwed me for a decade. Couldn't get credit cards, couldn't get loans, nothing. Uh, so doing this uh, business that I'm about to get in. So he was like, all right, I, I will sell you half the company for $50,000 and you take on all the debt. And all my friends in finance were like, no, no. What are you thinking? No. And, but in my mind, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Because if I can make this work and I get a store in Soho, you know how many decades it takes brands to get stores in Soho? And once you're in Soho, you've made it. You are an international brand. So I'm like, if I can make this work, I can skip decades of work. And I was like, if I can't make it work, what's the worst that happens? I reinvent myself again. So I got my husband to get the credit line on his credit card increased. And I took out a $25,000 cash loan on his credit card. And I paid the guy 25,000 down and I took on all his debt. And then I turned his, his Italian luxury betting store, which was not doing well into an Italian luxury sample sale location. It was at spring and Crosby where my, my store was for about 10 years. And I I had a guy that stood on the corner with a big sign, you know, luxury Italian betting 90% off. And I paid that six, $700,000 in debt off in like nine months. I always say I should have left that as a sample sale location because that girl was a cash cow. (laughs) People love, and I did it by contacting all the suppliers that he owed all this money to and be like, hey, 
He's never going to pay you. Yeah. He screwed you. He sold the debt to me. Give me a credit line. Send me a little bit of product. And I promise you, I will pay you back. So they gave me, you know, like a $10,000 credit line. And they're like, all right, we'll send you some product. And I paid that off quickly. And then, you know, more and more and more and more and more to where I totally paid them off. And then they ended up being one of my biggest suppliers. So as soon as I got that paid off, the store was still doing well. He started like taking money from the company. And he's like, oh, I own that the company now. I take the money. Um, it was my worst Italian accent. I'm so sorry to all the Italians out there. <laughs> um, and eventually I was like getting so angry because I was the one that got the company out of debt. I was the one that was making money, but he was taking so much money out of the company that I couldn't do with the store what I wanted to do with the store, which was really turn it into a Bobby Burke home. I knew he had a lot of shady tax debt. And so basically one day I, I sent him an email. I'm like, I know you have this, 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 and this. I need to never hear from you or see you again. Right. <laughs> you keep taking clear. money from me. And if, and if I do hear from you or see you again, and if you don't sign the company over to me, I'm going to turn you in for this, 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 and this. Good for and you. you're, you're, you're never going to be able to step foot back in the U.S. again without going to jail. Sing and it, so sister. That's it, man. He signed the company over to me. Guts. That very day I put up a Bobby Burke home banner and I turned it into my first Bobby Burke home store. And I had the, had New York. I then opened one up movie. in Miami. This is a movie. It's a whole series of movies. It's amazing. So Keep Miami, going. then Atlanta, then LA. And my dream was to never be in retail. Like retail is hard. Retail was what I did. And so I knew retail. I knew what to do. I also always had an eye for design. But my goal was to build the brand to where it looked huge and people had, it was, had the perception that it was this big brand, you know, it was in Soho, it was in design district in Miami. It was in the, the midtown in Atlanta and the design district in LA. It looked like this big company. And although I did have employees in the very, actually in the very beginning, when I just had my website, it was just me running it, but I had all these fake employee emails and fake employee ex- extensions. So when you call the company, it's like for accounting, press one for that to do, like all these different extensions to where this company looked huge because yeah. to get suppliers, I had to look huge. If they knew it was just some literally 24 year old kid running it from his apartment on the Upper East Side, they really wouldn't have given me the time of day. So again, I, my plan wasn't to be in retail, but I was using that to build the brand because eventually I wanted to license my name. I wanted to license design. I wanted to start a design firm. So it started getting big enough that manufacturers did start licensing my brand. I launched a rug line under my license. Um, I launched wallpaper. So that started doing well. I then did have a CFO that I hired that ended up embezzling a bunch of money from me and put the company in a really bad place. And so I, I had to make some hard decisions, you know, what am, uh, what am I going to do? And then I was, you know, I needed to start closing stores because the position that he put us in just didn't allow us to keep them open. And right at about the same time, I got a call from Builder Magazine and they're like, hey, we hired a PR firm to find out for us who the most well-known millennial interior designer is. And they told us you. And in my mind, I was like, that is interesting because I'm, I'm not an interior designer. You know, I, I own furniture stores, you know, I'm a tastemaker. And so I was like, okay, great. Yeah. Well, what can I do for you? And they're like, well, we're going to build the show homes for the international builder show. And we want you to design them because, and this is 2015. 
And they're like, because we want these to be what the next generation of millennials will want. And looking back at it, it's crazy that only seven years ago, did builders just start worrying about what millennials wanted? Right, right. And I was like, wait, we're like, millennials are now obsolete. You were only thinking about them for the last seven years. Like now it's Gen Z. And so they're like, we want you to design two homes for the international buildership. And I'm like, sure, absolutely. I can do that. Yeah. And they're like, great. Okay, let's do it. And this isn't just like picking out furniture and pretty pictures. No. This was like electrical plans and, and floor plans and construction documents. Holy and I didn't know gosh. how to do any of that. <laughs> like nothing. You're like right it's, on top of that, Rose. Got yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, no okay, mm, yeah. And so they, they introduced me to the builder that was building them. So like one of the first things I asked was I'm like, you know what? I really want to make sure that I'm giving you all the documents you need in the format that you're used to. And so if you could just share with me some of the, some of the documents that other designers have given you. So that way I just, I know we, we don't have to worry about wasting time. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I need. Oh this my is God, okay. I love you. <laughs> and so I didn't know how to use CAD, which is the thing you need to do in design. And so I just- <laughs> little program you use? Yeah, I put just, I put everything into Photoshop and I would just manipulate it in Photoshop. Um, and I just learned everything on YouTube and Google. I can't, and I can't even, I can't. I figure out how to do it. And at that point I'm like, all right, I'm launching this design firm. I'm just gonna start getting rid of these stores. And that was also the year that my husband and I decided to move to LA. So I hired one assistant when we moved to LA and that was right about the time we needed to install those show homes. And we went and we installed the show homes in Las Vegas and they were a huge success. And they had no idea that those were the first homes I had ever designed in my life. <laughs> so beautiful. And they ended up hiring me and my, my firm, which at the time, again, was me and an assistant who he's still with me. And now he heads up my design firm. And <laughs> they hired us to start doing more projects for them, like projects that weren't just show homes, but like right. actual like product and, and developments and, and, um, community centers and sales offices. And, and that was 2015, 2016. And that division of my business really started kicking off well. And so I hired a couple more people. I opened an office and in 2017, we had expanded to working with about three or four different builders and was doing way better than I'd ever dreamed with even better than what my stores were doing. And then Queer Eye came knocking. And that's, I think that's it. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally sitting here, like on the edge of my seat, literally. And you're so unique, full stop. There's just Thank something you. about you that's so obvious. And it's like, there's a never ending well of resilience and this ability to just figure it out as you go mm -hmm. when what the ego does, like we all have like, you know, this sort of higher conscious soul, whatever you want to call it. And then we have like an ego, which is all about like trying to predict and it gets in our way and it makes us overthink things and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And you have this very quick refractory period where you have it because you're a person, you're a human. And then this other part of you just overrides it. Mm -hmm. It's just like this, nope. I, I'm just moving forward here. It, it's like, say yes to this guy with his debt. You'll figure it out. Say yes to the show homes when like somebody else, Jonathan Adler at the time might've been like, oh, I haven't done that level of it. So what's a no from me? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure. I'm just saying like, it's uncanny, whatever that is. And it's so 
contrary to the way you, you spoke about what you were raised with this limiting narrative of like, if you don't have this education, here is where you will be like dead end jobs, blah, 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 blah. And then instead you literally turn it all around to where it's all unlimited expansion. One thing just keeps leading to the next thing. So it's so powerful for people to listen to this. It's so funny you should say Jonathan Adler <laughs> because so when I was in expansion on opening up stores, so was Jonathan. And of course, Jonathan is, you know, Jonathan's a little bit older than me. Um, you know, at the time I was in my twenties, Yeah. but I constantly compared myself mm. to Jonathan and Jonathan had investors and business partners. Yeah. I had no investors. I had no business partners. I couldn't get loans because of that bankruptcy. Like I was expanding based on proceeds of sales that I was doing, you know, but I constantly compared myself to Jonathan. I'm like, well, Jonathan has a store here. Why don't I have a store here? Well, Jonathan has nine stores. Why do I only have four? And it used to drive me insane. Every time he'd open up another store, I'm like, oh, and I would literally <laughs> go to that city and I would start looking around in the neighborhood he had opened. I was like, okay, I've got to open up a store here too. Cause Jonathan did. And the comparison, God, it almost killed me, you know, and comparison to this day, like I'll, I'll compare myself to other people and it's yeah. the worst thing you can possibly do. Comparison will literally kill you. Yep. But yeah, it's so funny that you said Jonathan because I'm like, oh my God, that's the person I used to always compare myself to. So it's funny. You just compared me to him. Yeah, no, because he was on the show years ago. He was one of our first guests in the first season. I remember him saying that when he was graduating from, from Brown, they did his two profiles on two graduating seniors, one who they thought was most likely to succeed, which wasn't him. And one who was <laughs> like, sort of like a sort of wild card and the one who's most likely to succeed was like oh i'm going to be doing some financial wealth planning in wall street and he was like i don't know what i'm gonna do i might weave baskets in santa fe nope. like i might make titty vases i think <laughs> i'm gonna make titty vases and it's gonna do amazing <laughs> yeah but actually the reason i compared you is because from having just sat with him for a little bit and got gotten to know him since the show a little mm -hmm. the radio stations are just so freaking similar like he literally didn't know what he was doing, hadn't taken a pottery class since he was like in summer camp and then was like, wait, maybe I'm a potter and like mm -hmm. figured it out. And you guys, like, that's probably the reason you were comparing yourself is because you intuitively felt there is a match yeah. here. Yeah, because there really wasn't anyone else yeah. like us. Nope, nope. But yet you're so different in like such a gorgeous way. It's like two different flavors of ice cream, from a similar creamery, but like really different flavors. <laughs> Two different flavors of ice cream from Big Gay Ice Cream. <laughs> yeah. This conversation is blowing my mind. Before we keep going, I just wanna thank our sponsor. Did you hear that? It's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. It's more than a store. Shopify gives you access to powerful tools to help you connect with customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. -day. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success. For a free 14-day trial, go to shopify.com slash dreamjob, all lowercase. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving you customized resources once reserved for big business with a great-looking online store that brings your idea to life and opens endless possibilities. I'm a huge fan of being resourceful with what's available to you, so I love that Shopify 
Shopify's providing the tools and making it easy for anyone to successfully run your own business. And a lot of people might be using the excuse like, I have barely any tech knowledge, but with Shopify, you can start building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience whatsoever. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs from first sale to full scale, and every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash dreamjob, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash dreamjob right now. So let's talk about Queer Eye for a second, because I'm sure everybody who's listening probably knows you most from there in some way. What is that experience like for you? Because you've already been, before Queer Eye, like you were such a successful human on so many levels. Like you had built such a sense of yourself through actually growing through so much. And then you had built such a successful business. And Queer Eye is like icing on top of a really like (laughs) well-made cake, right? Yeah. And I'm sure it also did, you wouldn't have done it if it didn't offer you some level of challenge or growth in some way. So what has that experience been like for you? I mean, it's been amazing. It's been, it's been amazing and it's been tough. You know, a lot of people think, oh, because you're on a show, that's like so good, but it's an amazing show. It's an amazing thing to work on, but it also, you know, has been very emotionally draining. In the beginning, actually, it was horrible in my business. Um, the first that's few surprising. seasons- the first few seasons, I lost tons of money in clients, not because of Queer Eye, but because of the time it took away from me running oh, my business. Okay. Yeah. So season one and two, I was completely away from my business. Um, so I wasn't there. And, and I, you know, not that my team isn't great, but our, our clients want to see yeah. me. I, I'm the name on the door. Sure. I'm the one cultivating, you know, when we're in a meeting about this project, I'm the one talking to the guy about the next project, you know, and I'm cultivating the next deal. And that wasn't happening. And then once the show came out, most of our clients were like, oh, he's famous now. He doesn't want to do this anymore. Mm. And so we, we just stopped getting business. And I was like, wait, where'd my design business go? <laughs> you know, literally it just one day went to nothing. Um, and so I had to start getting out there and visiting our clients again and being like, Hey, what's going on? And they're like, Oh, we just assume you didn't want to do this anymore. I'm like, no, no, I have, I have a whole team of people that still need work and still need paychecks and, you know, still want to be doing design. And I still want to be doing design. You know, I don't film year round. We only right. film for a, a certain amount of time. So it definitely, and then, you know, we don't take a lot of residential clients. We predominantly work with builders. We have taken a few residential clients here and there, but so you would think that, oh, Queer Eye, I'm sure has greatly expanded your design business. The calls we get for people wanting us to do their design from the show now, to be frank, is not projects we can take on. No. We can't, you know, there there needs to be a, a certain dollar threshold that makes it worth our time to, to go to, cause a lot, you know, they're not very few of them are actually in LA. They're all over the country. So if we're traveling to a design project, design projects take a lot of travel. So it needs to be a, a certain dollar threshold of a project for us not to lose money on. So although we've gotten, our inquiries have greatly exploded. There are very few jobs that we can actually take. And most of them only want me to do it. And I don't have the time to do everyone now. So yeah, the first two seasons, my company lost 
dramatic amounts of money because I wasn't there cultivating the business. And then season three and four, it was just like, oh, he doesn't want to do this anymore. Right. So it wasn't until season five that I really was able to kind of get my business back on track again. It's fascinating. And obviously the show has opened up tons of doors to many other things, you know, my licensing um, division has definitely increased a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have these opportunities that, and the doors that have been open. If I, you know, I wouldn't have been an ambassador for Target for three years without yep. Queer Eye, yep. even though the Michael Graves collection at Target was the thing that inspired me to be a designer. And that was their very first collaboration they ever did. Um, so it was, they had me in their 20th anniversary of collaborations book and documentary. Beautiful. It was such a full circle moment. Beautiful. I want to ask you this. I'm curious because when you're working with the person on Queer Eye, right? When you're working with this person who is in some season of their life where you guys see that there's some expansion here uh-huh. for this person, right? Similar, the people who are listening and the person who you were a long, long time ago, what have you started to see is one of the biggest patterns why people are blocked, blocked to their own expansion, their own sexuality, their own attraction, their own power. And what have you saw in your own journey and in working with people on Queer Eye that starts to unlock for people what's actually here? I mean, there's a lot of things, but I think one of the biggest things and the one word I can say to that is comparison we compare ourselves to others and in in good ways and bad ways we compare ourselves. We don't have a high school diploma like everyone else. We Mm. don't have a college degree like everyone else. We don't come from a wealthy family. We aren't as attractive. We, this, we can't that. And that's what holds us back. And I still struggle with that. It's something that never goes away. You just have to learn how to stop, allowing yourself to do that and realizing that the only person that can be you is you and you are the best version of yourself and no one else can be you. And Mm -hmm. the best way to succeed is to be unique and not try to be anyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, that's been my Achilles heel since I was younger. And and even, even now, you know, people would think, Oh, you must have the the most uh, self-esteem. You must have such high self-esteem and this and that. I'm like, you know, but a lot of times, no, I don't. A lot of times I still compare myself but I have to, I have to learn to stop. And also one of the things that I had a guy who was running my company at one point when I was expanding and he had been a good friend of mine for years and he's still a dear friend of mine, Brian. And he had, you know, a master's in business and he had been a comptroller and a CFO of a company before. And he was like, you know what? I'm always shocked at your success. And I never quite get it. And finally, the other day I was thinking about it. Like, is that a compliment? Yeah, I I was like, yes and no. And it was like, you know what? I realized that I think the reason why you're, you're successful is because I have this business education, this background of how you're supposed to do it. Here's the roadmap to the successful business and the roadmap to success. And you have to do it this way or else you will fail. And he's like, you don't have that. You don't have that roadmap. You don't know what the hell you're doing. You're just like, Hey, this sounds cool. Let's try it. <laughs> and if it, if it works great, if it doesn't, we'll try something else. And he's like, I think that's why you don't have that, that, that professor in the back of your head telling you, no, 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 don't do this. Or, you know, you just, you try it. And another thing is I didn't have anything to fall back on. Like yeah. there was 
zero safety net. There was no parents to fall back on. There was no trust fund. There was no education. There was nothing. So the only, the only thing I could do was dust myself off and try again, you know, yeah. is, yeah. Well, who was it that said that destiny's child? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it was another girl group in the nineties. Yeah. It's so powerful for everybody listening because it's so easy often when people look at those who've come on the show to say like, Oh, well, look where he's, you know, started or look what yep. he had or whatever. But you know, Howard Schultz was here and he grew up in public housing, which I didn't yep. know that, you know, and you're telling your story and it really removes any excuse that anyone could have, you know, other than the fact that you are really cute and really charming and you do have that. <laughs> but what that you show us with Queer Eye though, honestly, is that even a person who's disassociated from their own mojo, when they stop comparing themselves yep. and they start to own it, they're also really charming and adorable and like yep. find out how beautiful they are with however they look, right? So you do such a service. It's amazing as you continue the rest of your life, which is very, 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 there's so much more of it left. I feel like what's going to happen is for every move you made, there's going to be a line of people who hear about it, whose lives are literally changed because you had the courage to make that move. And that's, it's a really powerful legacy. It really, Thank really you. is. Thank you. So Thank tell you. everybody as we're signing off, where they can find you, follow along, buy the things and just be in your world. <laughs> um, my editorial website, which we have tons of articles all the time about design and health and fitness and food and, and travel, it's bobbyburk.com and that's B-E-R-K. And then my Instagram and my TikTok is just Bobby. Um, that's my, nice, isn't it? <laughs> it's just Bobby. And then my Twitter is Bobby Burke. Somebody had Bobby already and they couldn't get it. Um, so yeah. That's where you awesome. Can find awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're, you're so Thank humble you. too. On top of everything, you're just the easiest, most normal. I don't know how you did that part actually, without allowing all of that to become like some layer of ego, but boy, did you sail right past that. So thank you Thank for you. just being so refreshing and awesome. Thank you. Oh my gosh. What a journey. How incredible. Bobby. So great. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, even if every exit in the parking lot is closed, you will find a way out. Number two, what's the worst that can happen? You'll reinvent yourself again. Number three, say yes and figure it out later. Number four, comparison doesn't go away. You have to learn how to stop allowing it in and realize that the only person that can be you is you. You are the best version of yourself. Number five, the best way to succeed is to be unique and not try to be anybody else. No one else can be you. Number six, there's a blessing in not having a roadmap. Number seven, just try it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you'll try something else, dust yourself off and get back up again. You guys are amazing. I love you. I can't tell you how incredibly grateful I am that I get to do this show and that you are here listening. If you want to make sure that you never miss any episodes, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And I want to be able to answer your questions on the podcast. So if you have something you want to ask me about business or money or abundance or life, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and include the question in your review, or you can send me a note at hello at kathyheller.com and I can read your question, or you could even send a voice memo and we can play your voice note and then I can answer your question on the podcast. If you know someone who's a fan of Bobby or Queer Eye or someone who would just love this episode, then click 
the share button right now and share the episode. You can email it to them or text them the link. And you can also post about it on your Instagram and tag me at Kathy.Heller and tag Bobby. And he's just at Bobby because I know that he would love to see it. Finally, if you want to be able to apply for the mastermind, you can sign up at kathyheller.com slash mastermind. We are still going to be taking applications for a little while longer. P.S. Join me on my Instagram because the pre-sale of Abundant Ever After is going to start today and you're going to be able to find all the deets at my Instagram. I love you. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. So